As we continue in our series on the church, I want, to take, want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on. And, and today I want you to turn to Acts chapter nine. Uh, now also put your finger in uh, the beginning of Acts chapter eight. We're gonna read a short passage at the very beginning of Acts eight and then jump in and spend most of our time in Acts nine. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, what I would encourage you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents and there you're gonna find that the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, now, Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. So go to the book of, uh, the, go to the New Testament, find the book of Acts and go to chapters eight and nine. Now, if you're in an app, what I would tell you to do is pull down the list of the books of the Bible and there you'll find that Acts is about two thirds of the way down that list. So find Acts and we're gonna start in eight and then move in and spend most of our time in chapter nine. Now, as I was, uh, when I was in college, I got in with a group of friends who really, really loved professional wrestling. And I got hooked into it too. Every Monday night, uh, this group of friends and I would get together and we would watch what was back then called Monday Night Nitro. It was this big professional wrestling, uh, is a few hours long uh, that happened every Monday night. And yes, I know it's, it's professional wrestling. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a soap opera for men, you know, this drama that it's playing out and of course it's totally real and uh, not really, but it was entertaining. We just loved to watch it. And it was a connection point for me and a, a group of guys. We, we just had so much fun getting together every Monday night and celebrating, having fun and laughing uh, with this show, with, with professional wrestling. But during that time, there was one wrestler that I particularly loved, and most of my friends loved this guy too. It was a guy named Goldberg. And if you've ever watched professional wrestling, there's this constant battle between the good guys and the bad guys. And, and they're always scheming and trying to trick one another and do this and that so that they can get the, the belt, the, the uh, title of being the champions uh, of professional wrestling. But Goldberg was this guy that was neutral. Um, first off, he physically was very, very intimidating. He was not super tall, but he was tall, but he was huge. I mean, he looked like a brick wall walking out onto the stage. He was just muscular and big. He was bald and he never smiled. He always just had this grimace on his face. He was just so intimidating. On top of that, he was silent. He never said a word. He just didn't say things. But the coolest thing about Goldberg was that as this battle between good and bad was taking place during this professional wrestling, if there was ever injustice, if there was ever scheming that wasn't fair or the bad guys were doing something particularly evil and was uh, you know, countering the balance uh, in the show, Goldberg would suddenly appear. He wasn't allied with anybody. He wasn't partnered with any particular wrestler or team of wrestlers. He was just kind of this neutral, good force within professional wrestling. But he had this move. He would walk out, you know, hulking, just huge. And he'd have this look on his face and he'd walk out strutting. And for some reason, the guys in the wrestling ring would never actually see him. 
But of course the crowd and the people watching on TV would see him and just go nuts. Everybody would be so excited. Goldberg's on the scene. Something's about to happen. And so Goldberg would come out and he would strut his way over to the ring and he would, you know, looking big and mean. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he would take off running towards the ring and he would dive into it. And he had a signature move. He speared people. He would, he would run towards them, ducked down, and he would grab them and throw them to the ground. And of course they were out. They, he, he took them out. The coolest thing about Goldberg though was that he was someone who looked to right wrongs. If someone was being mistreated, Goldberg was the guy that brought them hope. He was the one who would offer that balance, that hope that was needed to bring the scales back to order. That's I think why I loved Goldberg so much was he was the hope. There was always drama and you know, the, the, the battle and the politics and the, the fight between good and evil. But when Goldberg came onto the stage and stepped into the ring, you knew that there was gonna be hope that was brought into that, that he was gonna make things right for the guy that was being wronged. I think that's what I loved about the guy. It was, he was not like all the other wrestlers. He was not like all the other guys on this stage trying to do something for themselves. He brought hope through sacrificial selflessness. And I just loved whenever he came on the scene. Have you ever needed hope? Have you ever hoped that there'd be someone that would sacrificially and selflessly bring hope into your life? Well, in today's account of the early church, we're gonna look at a guy who experienced a truly life-changing hope. And so take your Bibles and start with me in Acts 8. We're gonna start in verse one. We're only gonna read a few verses and then we're gonna jump into Acts 9, the very next chapter, and spend the rest of our time in Acts 9. So Acts chapter eight, starting in verse one, it says this, and Saul approved of his execution. Now, if you read chapter seven, you're gonna read about a man named Stephen and how um, he was arrested and he was falsely accused. He gives this amazing, almost sermon uh, to the religious leaders of his day. And then despite him uh, pretty conclusively showing that Jesus was the Christ uh, that was foretold in the Old Testament, the people are outraged. The religious leaders specifically are outraged and they take him out and they have him executed. And it says here in verse one that Saul approved of his execution. So continue reading with me. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Verse two, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Paul is a guy who is very intentionally, his job actually is to go and hunt down Christians, arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem, to the religious leaders. 
Now, fast forward to chapter nine, verse one. Go to chapter nine, verse one. It says this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Now, Damascus was a city in the north. And so he's traveling from Jerusalem, was kind of central south part of the nation. And he's asking for letters to go all the way up to Damascus to persecute Christians. Look at what it continues to say. In verse two, and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, in other words, Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Verse three, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse five, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now stop there. We're gonna pick up with Ananias in just a moment. But I want you to imagine for just a moment what this must have been like. Can you imagine having been there? Saul is riding along. He's on his way to Damascus with the purpose to arrest Christians, maybe even worse. And he has a very literal physical experience with Jesus. Jesus physically through light and speech changes Saul's life. Can you imagine being Saul in this moment? Can you imagine experiencing what he experienced, hearing the voice of Jesus, even accusing Paul? I can't imagine what that must have been like. Can you imagine what he was thinking? I mean, he's on his way to go and murder, arrest, persecute followers of Jesus, and now Jesus from heaven is speaking to him. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? Well, I think one of the things that has been crossing his mind through this whole experience and afterwards is today's big idea. If you've ever watched one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that summarizes the main idea, the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Jesus offers you love and hope. Let me say that again. Notice the emphasis I put here. Jesus offers you love and hope. You. Jesus wants you to experience love. He wants you to experience hope. You see, you are loved. No matter what anyone says, no matter what the voices in your mind tell you, you are truly loved. There's nothing that you can do 
to, to take you away from that love, to remove you from that love. Please hear me on this. I know that some of you watching right now, some of you listening right now, you're struggling. You're struggling, struggling with sadness, with anxiety, with fear, with depression. Maybe you're struggling with feeling worthless or useless or feeling unworthy or undeserving of love from anyone. Maybe you are in a low place. Please hear me again. It doesn't matter what you feel or what you think. You are loved. You are loved by Jesus. He wants you to know this today. It's not just that you're loved, but it's also that in that love, you also are offered hope. Some of you could use some hope today, couldn't you? There's someone watching right now that is thinking, man, some hope would be really good. Jesus offers you hope. I mean, look at the life of Saul. If Saul, a man who by all accounts from the perspective of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if you were a follower of Jesus, you would have thought that this man was the worst person on the planet. He was actively persecuting, arresting, murdering Christians. He was hunting them down. If Jesus can love Saul, if Jesus can give Saul hope, then he can love you. He can give you hope. If he can love someone like Saul, then he can love you. You can never do enough bad things to disqualify you from the offer of love and hope that Jesus gives. You can never be too evil to forfeit the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. You cannot commit too many sins. You can't do so many sins that Jesus would not love you or give you hope. We're all sinners. According to the very next book of the Bible, after Acts, the book of Romans, we are all sinners. In other words, we have all disobeyed God. We have all wronged God. But Jesus loves us anyways. It doesn't matter how many sins, what things we've done, how bad we think we've been. You can't do enough bad things to take away the love and hope of Jesus in your life. You are loved and offered hope. It's as simple as that. There are no ifs, ands, or buts in that offer of love and hope. It is flatly offered to all who would accept it, no matter what their past. Your past means nothing to Jesus. Jesus simply asks that if you would believe in him, repent of your sins. In other words, that means turn away from the ways that you are disobedient of God, the ways that you don't do the right thing, the ways that you are uh, resisting God's plan and purpose for your life. If you will believe and repent, 
and live your life, dedicate your life to Jesus, then that love and hope is yours. It's yours. Your past doesn't matter. Listen to a, a passage uh, that's in the book of Ephesians. It's a few books after the book of Acts. It's Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five. And it says this, and you were dead, yikes. You were dead in your trespasses, your sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now stop there for a second. We were all children of wrath. We were all dead in our sins and our trespasses. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good at all. But look at how this passage in Ephesians 2 continues. It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now there's some words here that I want to, you to understand. I want you to understand completely. It says here that, but God being rich in mercy, Please hear me, we all deserve punishment because we have disobeyed God's law, because we've disobeyed God's perfect plan, his perfect will for our lives. We, we've all done the wrong that we know we shouldn't have done. We've all done, not done the right that we know we should have done. Those are all things that qualify under sin. And because we've done those things, we are all deserving of punishment, eternal punishment. But it says here, but, but God being rich in mercy, in other words, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve, when we don't get the punishment that we should get. So think about it this way, but God being rich in mercy, not wanting to give us what we deserve, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, he made us alive together with Christ, with Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is, getting, is not getting what you don't, or let's <laughs> say that again. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. All the blessings Specifically here, exactly what we've been talking about. Grace is getting the love and the hope that we do not deserve. Isn't that amazing? Ephesians 2, one through five says, we're dead in our trespasses. We've been following the wrong uh, leader. We've been following the course of the world, the prince of darkness. We've been living with the sons of disobedience. We've been following our passions and our flesh, doing everything we shouldn't do, that we are children of wrath, of anger, 
just like the rest of mankind. But God, because he is rich in mercy, does not give us the punishment that we rightly deserve. He gives us grace. He gives us love and hope that we don't deserve. Isn't that amazing? There is nothing that can separate or disqualify you from the love and hope of Jesus. Nothing. The love and hope that Jesus offers is available to you today. It's available. And maybe you're watching right now and maybe you're thinking, you know, I could, I could really use some love and hope right now in my life. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're not feeling loved. Maybe you're feeling like there's not much hope and maybe what I'm talking about here, maybe this sounds appealing. Maybe you've got questions. You see, Jesus wants to give you the love and the hope, that, that mercy and grace that I was talking about. He wants to give you that. But maybe you've never believed. Maybe you've never received and accepted that love and that hope from Jesus. And maybe you've got questions or maybe you're ready to accept the love and the hope of Jesus. If that's you, what I want you to do right now, stop whatever you're doing. Don't, don't, don't continue doing whatever it is. I want you to stop and I want you to follow these quick instructions. I want you to go uh, and either click on the virtual connect card that's in the post of this video or just simply go to our website and click on the contact us page. Fill that out and I will reach out to you as soon as possible. I would love to answer any of those questions that you may have about Jesus. Talk to you about the love and hope that Jesus offers to you and guide you into whatever next steps you feel you're ready to take. So please, if that's you, don't, don't continue. Stop whatever it is you're doing and go over to our website right now and click on the contact us page and reach out to us. Please, don't let your questions go unanswered. Don't continue life without the love and the hope of Jesus. So Jesus gives Saul, this, this horrible person, he gives Saul the chance to believe in him. But let's pick up where we left off in Acts chapter nine, verse 10. So Acts chapter nine, starting in verse 10. Remember, Saul has just had this miraculous, life-changing experience, this account uh, where Jesus directly speaks to him and there's light and, and Paul's blind, he can't see. Now look at what happens next. Remember I mentioned there was a, guy, a mention of a man named Ananias. Let's see what happens with Ananias. Chapter nine, verse 10, it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard of many things about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind who all calls on your name. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying hands on Saul, he said to him, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now fast forward to verse 26. Verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of them for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who, who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Wow. Pretty amazing. You know, we've talked about how the love and the hope of Jesus is available to you, but Jesus offers even more. It doesn't end with just love and hope. And that's kind of a weird way to say that, just love and hope. I mean, but no, there's so much more. There's so much more. Look at Saul's life. He's not just given love and hope, that mercy and grace that is spoken about in Ephesians 2. He is also given purpose. He's given a reason, a mission for his life. You see, you have not done too many bad things. You've not done so many bad things. You're not too broken to be used by Jesus, to have a purpose in Jesus. He can provide you with a purpose. He can. Saul was such a horrible person, but Look at what it says in verse 15. Go back with me again and look at verse 15. Ananias is questioning what the Lord has commanded him to do by going and talking to Saul. But look at what the Lord's response to Ananias is in verse 15. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. You see, Saul was not a good person. Despite his terrible sins, beside, besides his horrible treatment of the followers of Jesus, he chose him, Jesus chose him for his mission. He gave Saul love and hope, but he also gave Saul purpose. He gave Saul meaning in life. As I look back, I can recognize that there are people that I've witnessed in my life who were amazing 
followers of Jesus, that did amazing things for Jesus. And some of those people had terrible pasts. Some of those people were drug addicts. They were alcoholics. They were criminals. They were people who struggled with sin, struggled with mental health, struggled with hurting others, and yet God used them. He still gave them love and hope and gave them purpose. You can be used. You can have purpose in Jesus. What is that purpose? Well, our purpose is right here on this wall. Our purpose is to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. And that can be your purpose too, to follow him and lead others to him, to that life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. So have you talked to God about your purpose, the meaning that Jesus wants to give you for your life? I encourage you to think about that. But there is another group of people that I do want to address this morning. Some of you are watching and you're thinking, this is great. I have the love of Jesus. I have the hope of Jesus. I've been living God's purpose in my life uh, for years or for a long time or for a short time, whatever it may be. Maybe you're listening and you're a follower of Jesus and you don't fit the type of people that I've been describing. I want you to notice one thing here. In the passages that we just read from Acts 9, we recognize that if you lived in that day and time, Saul was a scary guy if you were a follower of Jesus. If you were a follower, Saul was a person that you would have fled from, you would have, you would have avoided because he was, he was scary. But now the tables have turned. Saul is no longer this scary guy that's hunting down Christians. He's now the vulnerable one trying to fit in with the Christians. He's struggling to find connection with the people that he once hunted down, but now that he belongs to. But the people don't trust him. They're scared of him, and probably rightly so. But look at Ananias and Barnabas's response to him. Ananias was told by God to go and help Saul. And Ananias resisted for a minute, but when God explained, he went and did exactly what God told him to do, what Jesus told him to go and do. And so he helped Saul begin to become part of the family of God. And then Saul had to travel. If you read all of chapter nine, he was forced to leave and go to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he finds the same problem. The guys don't believe that he's a believer. They don't trust him. They're scared of him. And so they don't allow him to become, to get connected, to be part of the family of God. And along comes Barnabas. Now, if you were to read earlier in Acts, Barnabas is this rock solid follower of Jesus. He's a rock star. Uh, people look to him. Uh, if we fast forward into uh, the book of Acts, we're going to find that Barnabas is actually one of the lead guys that goes out into the world to tell people about Jesus. This guy is amazing. And he comes alongside of Saul and brings him in 
to the church, to the family of God, to the body of Jesus. If it weren't for Ananias and Barnabas, Saul would have gotten saved. He would have been rescued from his sin. He would have become a follower, a believer in Jesus. And then he would have wandered alone because he would not have been connected to the family of God, to the church. But Ananias and Barnabas didn't allow that to happen. And so maybe you're listening and maybe again, you don't quite identify with the type of person that I've been describing earlier in today's message. Maybe you're called to be like Ananias and Barnabas. You see, there will be people that may come to be a part of the church, of the family of God. And some of those people are not gonna look like us. They're not gonna dress like us. They're not gonna sound like us. They're not gonna act like us. Quite frankly, they're not gonna smell like us. They're gonna be different. And our temptation in that will be to, whether consciously or unconsciously, will be to avoid them and, and push them away or, or avoid them altogether. And you may be tempted to resist the connection that God is trying to build, that God is trying to connect those people to the, the family of God, to the church. If that's you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have no trouble, you, you've already experienced the love and the hope of Jesus and, and you have purpose in the name of Jesus and, and you're following him, if that's you, I would encourage you to be an Ananias or a Barnabas in someone's life. Bring people in. Help them fit in to the church, to the family of God. Be the hands and the feet of Jesus in their lives. You know, that may mean inviting somebody to come and watch this some Sunday or sometime during the week. It may be inviting someone to be a part of a, an online small group of some kind. By the way, we'll be starting some groups up uh, next month. So be uh, thinking and praying about whether you should get connected to one of our online groups. Maybe you have the opportunity to come to an in-person service and you recognize that there's someone over off in the distance that doesn't quite fit in maybe and maybe no one's talking to them or, or inviting them to come sit with them. Maybe God's calling you to be an Ananias or a Barnabas in their life. Love people, be an Ananias and Barnabas. Include people, even those people that you don't really naturally connect with, people that you're not sure about, connect with them and help them to connect to the church, to the family of God, the way Ananias and Barnabas did here with Saul. So here's my closing question. What is Jesus trying to give you right now? Is it love? Is it hope? Is it purpose? Is it a great mission to be an Ananias or a Barnabas in someone's life? 
think it's time we go and ask the Lord that. So join me in prayer and let's, let's seek what he is calling us to do. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you. God, we thank you for Saul because from this point forward, we're gonna read and study so much of what Saul does and says for you. So we thank you for men like Saul and the apostles that led and, and really started and got the early church going. Lord, we thank you for the example that we see here. We thank you for the love and grace that we see Jesus giving to Saul by giving him love and hope and purpose. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would give us love, hope, and purpose. That in following you, in living our lives for you, that we would experience that life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. Lord, speak to our hearts now. What is it that you want us to experience? What is it that you want us to have? Is it love? Is it hope? Is it purpose? Speak to our minds and hearts and help us to embrace through your Holy Spirit whatever it is that you're trying to do and change in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.